Hello and welcome to Sound On Sight, the official podcast of soundonsight.org. And this week, Scream 4 is finally being released. It's the first in the series in 11 years. The metatextually loaded slasher series, of course, made hundreds of millions of dollars in the 90s to early 2000s, and so maybe it's no surprise that it's back. Who knows how this one will do, but myself, Simon, uh, Ricky, and Justine are here to tell you if the new movie is any good in both spoiler and non-spoiler editions, but only after we uh, go through the first three films, which, by the way, we are going to spoil the hell out of, so you have been warned. Sound on Sight, your weekly dose of film talk and the official podcast of soundonsight.org. My name is Simon. Sitting across from me is Mrs. Justine Smith. Yes, hello everybody. Whoa, I just called you Mrs. for some reason. I am I am married to God. Really? Yeah. And joining us on the phone because he is grievously ill and he cannot join us on the Sound on Sight hover yacht. He's not going to die yet. Rick? Uh, couldn't you have announced that I was like in Europe or something? Make it sound a lot cooler. <laughs> I guess. Did he say? Did you specify that he was in Montreal, or did you just specify he wasn't here? I just specified that he was, was on the phone, but because I'm ill. Anyway, maybe they sent Rick. you to a Swiss hospital. Why would we need to send him to a Swiss hospital? We have the finest healthcare in the world. According to who? Guys, Michael Moore. A bit of bad news. What? Uh, well, like I'm really sick, which is why I'm home and I'm not there. Um, but I accidentally took like uh, a shitload of like sleeping pills, thinking it was echinacea, <laughs> which is not good because I woke up at six in the morning, I haven't slept, and I'm really sick, so I think I might fall asleep halfway through the show. Oh, so it's like a ticking time bomb episode. This is exciting. Well, I made coffee. No, I made some coffee, but the problem is I just realized it's decaf, so I don't think it's gonna help. <laughs> oh my god! Oh god, this is just like a horror. Do you have movie. any Coca Cola that you could inject <laughs> no. into your veins? Is there anyone I in don't... your house who wants to kill you? <laughs> I don't pop. <laughs> the call is coming from inside um, the house. Now, um, if I'm not mistaken, we're going to talk about the first, the initial Scream trilogy first, and this is going to be, we're just going to spoil the hell out of these, aren't we? Right. Now, yeah. we're assuming that if you're listening to the show, it's because you're interested in seeing Scream 4, so you've already seen the previous three films. Maybe you haven't seen them in a while, so I think it's, it's better if we actually do go into detail and spoil the movie, because some people might not have the time to rewatch them, but they want to refresh the memory. So we're going to spoil the first three films, guaranteed. We're going to talk about the fourth film, and at the very end of the show, we're going to warn everybody. We're going to pause the show, and we're going to be we're going to let everyone know when we go into spoiler territory for part four. So you can actually, even if you haven't seen part four, you can actually listen to about ninety percent of the show, and then just turn it off and come back and listen to the other ten percent when you see the new film. Right. Yeah. Basically, I don't think anyone, you know, right today is going to want to watch listen to the end of our show because. We're in uncharted territory yeah. for anyone who isn't super special like us. All right, so uh, let's let's get started. Let's uh, start with the initial scream. Uh. Hello. 
don't you want to talk to me? Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters? Yeah. What's yours? Guess. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Is that the one where the guy had knives for fingers? Yeah, Freddy Krueger. Freddy, that's right. I like that movie. It was scary. Well, well, the first one was, but the rest sucked. So, you got a boyfriend? <laughs> Why? You want to ask me out on a date? Maybe. Do you have a boyfriend? Mm, no. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. What did you say? That was a clip from Wes Craven's Scream, the first of... I guess what's now a quadrilogy and may end up being God knows how long the bloody series is going to wind up. And uh, it was noted, of course, for its uh, metatextual approach to the slasher film. Not the first time Wes Craven had done that, but uh, I guess the most prominent. It became a worldwide horror phenomenon and, of course, spawned a crapload of sequels and uh, made a star out of Nev... Well, a star of sorts, I guess, out of Nev Campbell and uh, some of the other cast members. And... uh, I guess Rick, uh, you are you're the horror expert, and you're also a, a, a huge booster of this series. Is the original still the best, or do you even think it was ever the best? No, I never thought it was the best. Um, what's really funny about the screen, the original screen film, is normally I would run to the theater to go see any Wes Craven film on opening night, and I actually waited about like I would say about five or six weeks before I went to go see Scream, and I only did so because I was afraid that someone would tell me who the killer was. But I just had no interest in slasher films in the 90s. Like, the 90s brought some of the worst horror films ever. It was like the worst decade, I think, for horror movies, especially slasher films. So when I heard it was a slasher film, I had no interest. Uh, I went to go see it, and, um, you know, I think like everybody else, I was blown away by the opening sequence. Like, the movie opens with the striking and totally engrossing standalone sequence revolving around the pursuit of Drew Barrymore. She's playing the character Casey. And I think it's by far probably the best opening sequence of any horror film, or at least any slasher film ever. Now, I'm not saying it's the best scene of any horror film or slasher film ever, but I think it's by far the best opening sequence of any movie. But the problem is, it's the high point of the film. And so it's like the rest of the movie has like this pressure of trying to match the intensity of that opening scene. And I never expected it to match the like how incredibly staged that opening sequence was, but I also didn't expect it to not even come close to matching it. And the problem with the first movie, and I do like the first movie, is I just find that it kind of starts slowly falling apart. And it really kind of moves away from being an actual slasher film. And you especially see that at the end of the movie, when most of the cast, including the two killers, don't even use, say, like a blade has a weapon. They use like an actual gun. And there's way too much gunplay for my taste for what is supposed to be a slasher film. 
But, uh, you know, I mean, again, like that opening scene, it's, it's probably as well known as the shower scene in, you know, 1960s Psycho or maybe even like the shark attack that started Jaws. It's an incredible scene. And I think that scene alone is what, you know, I think, I think that's what blew, blew everybody away. Like mm-hmm. the whodunit is really interesting to some degree. But um, that was just like a great way to. Open I don't up think a any franchise. whodunit that involves Keith Ulrich is interesting. <laughs> but um, no, in. the the opening sequence is is incredible, and I think that that's the strength of almost all of the Scream films, except for maybe one notable one. The opening sequence grabs you from the start, and it's tense. It's usually the scariest sequence in the whole film. Not always, but yeah, usually. But- it's it's not only because it's the scariest sequence in the whole film, but it's also because he he takes a page from Alfred Hitchcock's book, and I'm I'm talking about Psycho, where you know even like the child like 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 you know this child actress that we all grew up watching, who's now a superstar, Drew Barrymore, you know you expect her to be the movie's main like star. Like yeah. I think she she he even kept it a secret. Like it was billed as like starring Drew Barrymore, so nobody anticipated that a beloved child actress would die and die within the first scene of the movie. And I think that's why it became like, and I don't understand why no one had ever thought about doing that. I mean, Psycho came out in 1960. This movie came out in 96. That's like 46 years and no one ever thought about killing a major character so early on in the movie. And it's brilliant. Um, it, we're, we're, we've already sort of hinted at this, but what I find interesting and also sort of problematic about the Scream movies is that they're not strictly slasher films, even though they talk about the rules of horror films and the rules of slasher films. They're really three things at once. They're slasher films, they're comedies, and they're whodunits. And I think that's true of basically all four, four movies in somewhat different ratios. Yeah. To me, yeah. as a series, I think the series actually works best as a comedy series, weirdly enough close second as a horror series and, and a way distant third as a mystery or a whodunit series. I don't think um, any of these movies works with, as a mystery. I would agree with you on the comedy uh, elements in especially in part one and part three, but not in part two, which we'll talk about a little later on, and also not in part four. And I think the comedy is pretty effective um, in the fourth. Oh, no, no. I mean, they, 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 Wes Craven does an, an excellent job in blending like the comedy with the, uh, the suspense. But I think uh, for me personally, my two favorites are in, in the case of like the Scream series, it's the even numbered films that I prefer as opposed to the odd numbered films. Whereas like Nightmare on Elm Street, I prefer the odd numbered films. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I, I guess but you, it's funny, Rick, you were describing sort of the way Scream 1 works for you in terms of like great opening and then sort of gradual fizzling from there. To me, that's sort of how all these movies work uh, with with maybe one exception. I mean, they all ha- I mean, I think the reason the opening is so great in at least 1, 2, and 4 is because there's no, you know, you're so, there's no mystery aspects yet. It's really there's just... There's no exposition either. There, there's there... no exposition. There's just something creepy is happening or and usually something funny is happening at the same time. And it hits you, and that's it. And there, and you, you've got this shape moving around, you know, in, not yeah. unlike in Halloween. And the shape is creepy, and we don't really care. And iconic now. Yeah. There's a lot about these films that is iconographic, and I think that's mm-hmm. why they have lasting power, like a lot of good and not-so-good horror films have over the years. My problem with... I like the first a lot. I think... I, and I enjoy the humor elements a lot, especially... Uh, you have Rose McGowan, who's one of my favorite 
good bad i don't know if she's a good actress or a really horrible one but she cracks the hell out of me and her death in this film i love it mm-hmm. but she, um, she's, she's amazing in this movie yeah no she really is um what my problem with scream one is it is the first of a series that is i don't want to say revolutionary i don't think it's a revolutionary film it's close to to being one it's just that they spend so much time establishing the rules and to me if you're a horror fan, those rules don't need to be o- as overstated as much as they are. And I think in the other films, or at least the better ones, like two and four, they underplay that slightly. But the first one, they 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 not only say this is what happens in a horror film, they say it again and again and again. And the when they do break the rules, it seems a bit more arbitrary. And, you know, I think the reason yeah. that Scream 1 is my favorite of the initial trilogy, at least is that it's the one where the rules, and even if they are overstated, make not, not that they make the most sense, but that they seem like I actually agreed with them. Like the, There was like, yes, I, I've seen that in other films, and I agree. In the second and third, they start to pull out rules that kind of make the movie seem more intense. Like they say, oh, this is, weird. This is where we... The second movie is where they ramp it up, or the third movie, anything goes. I'm like, well, that's not really true, is it? I mean... Yeah, well, I, I, I agree with Justine. I mean, this is not in... In, in some ways, it's not really a groundbreaking movie. I mean, it's not even the first meta movie. I mean, you can think of, you know, Tarantino films or something like Sunset Boulevard or even Jean-Luc Godard's Breathless or uh, Jean-Luc Godard's like Pierre Le Fou uh, or even spoofs like Airplane. Yeah. But the thing about Scream is it came out, as, it, it was all about timing. It came out in 1996 when we just had six years of bad horror movies, especially bad slasher movies. So I think, you know, compared to like all those movies I just mentioned, it popularized the self-referential genre. Mm-hmm. That's what Scream did. Like it made it popular to a, a mainstream audience. And I agree with you guys. Like as a huge horror fan, you know, I didn't need to have the rules laid out to me. But well, with even that if they're said, laid out my favorite character in the film was Jamie Ken- Kennedy's character. Mm-hmm. So, you know, without Jamie Kennedy, like, I mean, I, I would, I'm still happy that we had Jamie Kennedy's character Randy there to establish the rules because he was the best character in the film. So it's kind of like there was some good that came out of it, and at the same time mm-hmm. there was kind of some bad because it was a little repetitive. But if you think about all the movies prior to Scream, like all the slasher films, they were all taken very seriously, like Friday the 13th, Halloween, etc., etc. Except for maybe and after Scream. But after Scream, everything changed because then you start getting movies like Tucker and Dale versus Evil or That's... Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz and Everything just changed. It was a game changer. And it would also spawn strange. It's like it spawned like I know what you did last summer in a weird way. Yeah, it totally. Which did. is not yeah. which is it's like they just did not get Scream. <laughs> yeah, kind they of. just they watched Scream and they're like, We're gonna make another slasher film, but it's gonna be nothing well, like Scream. And yet to be, we're ripping to them be off. fair, those those movies were all scripted by Kevin Williamson. Like Scream was not his first screenplay. His first script was teaching this of Tingle. Um, but he couldn't get it sold. He, you know, his first script made was Scream, but he already had like a few other ideas floating around in his head. And he was responsible for, yeah, I agree, you know, uh, continuing on with this like phase of like who done it slasher films. Um, they were all very similar to Scream, and a lot of them were really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as Simon mentioned in the intro, um, it's very, very important to remember that Wes Craven himself did the exact same thing two years prior with Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which I think is the second best 
film in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Um, and in, in many ways, it serves as a precursor to Scream because in that movie, it's Nightmare on Elm Street is a movie within a movie and mm-hmm. Freddy comes to life. So he kind of already dabbled with the whole idea like two years before Scream. I think um, one advantage, though, that uh, that New Nightmare had and that and that the Nightmare on Elm Street movies have in general is that you're dealing with a villain. You know who it is. You know they can do pretty much anything. And that, I mean, that devolved into some pretty horrible movies, obviously. But one of the things that's established in Scream that I think weakens a lot of the movies is that they're trying to make this, um, they're trying to go back to basics, a crazy person and a knife. And that's Mm -hmm. supposed to be really visceral and scary. And they're onto something. And sometimes it really works. The problem is that they think they they think that we care really who it is, and to me, I don't think that we do. First of all, and second, they have this weird combination where a it, it's a character in the film, and b when they don the mask, they sort of become superhuman because that's to some degree. Well, they kind of they try to. I think the fact it's actually one of the problems in the series. I'm not sold on the two killer thing. And, I don't uh, think anybody is. But they they kind of use that to get around the superhuman thing because there's two of them. Mm-mm. They do for a they bit. Try, yeah. They try to... And it doesn't... It's not a bad thing. In other in the other films, it doesn't work as well. In the first one, you in the first kind one, of, it works. It works. Yeah. The others, less. The fourth one, it, it works. I, I really like the fourth. I'm yeah, just throwing that but, out there. You guys got to remember something. Scream 1 and even like Scream 2, I'm not going to really uh, add Scream 3 in this statement, but those first two films really aspire to a lot more than just a typical slasher fair because Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven are actually a perfect match. If you think about it, like Craven basically found his dream writer, like someone who can structure his fasc- fascination with like the blurry lines between reality and the movies. I mean, this is the guy that made the Nightmare on Elm Street series. And, you know, the movie has its flaws. Like it's by far not my favorite. It's my favorite opening sequence. It's my favorite sequence, the Drew Barrymore sequence. But at times, like you guys said, dialogue's a little too cute. Despite the fact that I do like a lot of it, I find it at, in, at like there's some occasions where it actually gets in the way of the shock and the suspense of what is supposed to still be a slasher film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the dialogue eventually wears a bit thin towards the end of the film. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I mean, and the whole ending of the film is, like, silly. If you were the only suspect in a senseless bloodbath, would you be standing in the horror section? Well, it was just a misunderstanding. He didn't do anything. You're such a little lap dog. He's got killer printed all over his forehead. Okay. Really? Why the cops let him go, smart guy? Because obviously they don't watch enough movies. This is standard horror movie stuff. Prom night revisited, man. Yeah? Why would he want to kill his own girlfriend? There's always some stupid bullshit reason to kill your girlfriend. That's the beauty of it all. Simplicity. Besides, if it gets too complicated, you lose your target audience. Well, what's his reason? Maybe Sydney wouldn't have sex with him. <laughs> well, is she saving herself for you? Maybe. Now that Billy tried to mutilate her, do you think Sid would go out with me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't at all. No. You know what I think it is? You know, I think it's her father. You know, why can't they find her pops, man? Because he's probably dead. His body will come popping up in the last reel somewhere. Eyes gouged out, fingers cut off, teeth knocked out. See, the police are always off track with this shit. If they'd watch prom night, they'd save time. There's a formula to it. 
A very simple formula. Everybody's a suspect. And that's exactly what they did at the end of the film. And it was, it was like as if Williamson was so worried that there might be one person in this world that can figure out who the killer is. So in order to fool everybody, he had to make like two killers. And I just thought it was mm -hmm. silly and like a cop-out. I thought that would have been effective in the sequel because, you know, the sequel is always supposed to outdo the original film. But in the original film, having two killers, to me, just like I did not like it. And I didn't like the fact that, once again, it's like you get Skeet Ulrich and mm. uh, I forget the other guy's name. I don't even and remember what he looks like. They're, they're like, they're shooting people with guns. Like, I, I, how many bullets went flying in that final sequence? Where's the suspense? Yeah, in, in horror films, like, guns are the ultimate cop-out. It's, yes. it's like, there's maybe like one case in history that I can't even think of where it's, it actually is an improvement over the situation. Uh, I, I think it's universally true of all four movies that the last 10 minutes is stupid and silly. I'm just going to throw that out there. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um... But, you know, like, uh, just talking about the cast really quickly, uh, you know, I still think, like, Rose McGowan, I love her in this film. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Rose McGowan, you know, be it, like, Planet Terror or, like, some of the Greg Araki films. But uh, Jamie Kennedy stands as the highlight, as the prototypical, like, film geek. And, um, you know, the people in the screen movies, they know they're in a horror film. And that's what's kind of cool about their characters. And, uh, like, I, like, it's like I do like the fact that you know, out of everybody in this movie that knows that they're in, like, a, a scenario of a horror film, he's the one that knows the rules better than anybody else. And, and, and as much as his dialogue, dialogue can be a little bit, like, annoying or too, like, obvious, at the same time, it's, actual, it's actually crucial for the film's success. Like, it's one of the major reasons why Part 3 is the weakest of the franchise, because his presence is really missed because, you know, he dies in part two. So There's a lot of three. reasons why part and, three um, sucks. Yeah, we're that's get one of them, and, but it's a minor. Yeah, that's one of them. And um, I really, really like Nev Campbell in the Scream series. Like, yeah, she's great. I, I was. Okay, I, yeah. I, uh, I have to agree. I came to the bizarre conclusion after watching all four Scream movies that Nev Campbell is a great actress. And, I and she's one of the that. few Scream Queen slasher girls who is. Yeah, yes. I agree. And I got into huge fight with my friend because in for, in my books she's way better than Heather Langenkamp uh, in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Oh, I and agree I, I completely. Like I do like her Nightmare on Elm Street series, but I think Nev Campbell's way better. Um, well, the, I like. There's a lot of I, scream queens I like. Doesn't mean they're good actresses. I think Nev Campbell is likable, and she actually has quite a bit of acting talent. And I'm actually disappointed that her career has not taken off more because she has a lot of potential. There's one thing I don't like about this movie, which a lot of people are just going to disagree with, um, is I don't like the look of the film. Like, it's not that the cinematography is bad. It's just that it doesn't fit for a slasher film, in my opinion. Like, it's a little too bright for my money. And, like, you know, if you think of, like, some of the greatest slasher films, like Halloween, Friday the 13th, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the cinematography is so it's, – it's, it's such a key factor into, yeah. like – like creating that 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 atmosphere. And you most know, of the films get, you just named are also set in really movie, warm, hot places. Yeah, this movie is too suburban. It's too glossy. It's too too much in the light. Too much in the daytime. Like I could have used a little bit more scene tonight, and that's why the Drew Barrymore scene is so great because it's dark and it's brooding and it it takes place at nighttime and it's got some amazing camera work. Like like when he goes to kill her. And she, you see her reach out slowly to pull down his, his mask, and then you see the knife, like, 
like, uh, you know, he puts the knife behind his head in, in the middle of the air, and it's got that close-up of the blade, and you see a reflection off the blade, and then you wait, 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 and then finally he stabs her, and then, like, that was just such a beautiful scene, like, beautiful camera work. And there's one other scene that I really like in terms of the way the camera work moves. It's, it's when the principal gets killed, and there's this fantastic shot where you see the reflection of the killer in his eyeball, mm-hmm. but the rest of the movie, for me, the camera work wasn't really good. Um, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you about the about, about the look in terms of I like the suburban setting just because it enhances the normalcy of it. The way, you know, like like I said, they're trying to enhance. It's just a guy with a knife who can kill you. I like the way it looks so average, you know, because it, it, it enhances that feel of, oh, this could happen anywhere, which they kind of lose with the whole two killer thing that gets a bit ridiculous. But I, I did like that aspect. Yeah, but there's, I mean, most slasher films take place in suburbia and they still like somehow end up looking better. And just have some memorable like camera shots or some great framing. Like I said, I don't think it's bad. I just I don't know. I just wanted something a little more. Like um, mm. uh, the editing is great though. And I actually the editor is one of the one of the editors whose name I always recognize when I see him on screen. His name is Patrick Lucier, and like he doesn't waste a second on the film because I think this movie is only like about ninety minutes long. It's not like it's like two hours long. And that's, that's pretty impressive considering the amount of suspects, the amount of characters, you know, and for a whodunit. Like, yeah, no, Simon, you're a music expert. What do you think of the score? Uh, I, I, th- I think the score, actually, the scoring in general in, in these films is really strong. Aren't they all the same guy? Yeah, it's Marco uh, Beltrami. Yeah. But uh, I think the score is great, but there's one thing that I miss. It doesn't really have a theme song. Like when you think of like Jaws or Oh, that's not true. Halloween. That's not true. The first three films well, do have a theme song. It's Red Right well, Hand by does. Nick Cave. What's that? It's it's the Nick Cave song, Red Right Hand. It's in all three of the first films. Right, but that's what I'm saying. It's it's a song. It's like a, it's part of the soundtrack, not part of the score. Yeah, but it's still it's when I think of those movies, that's the music I think of. And I, I know it's not like it's it's yeah, I get it. It's not like a Halloween theme or a or you know, like, mm-hmm. like I, I get what you're saying, but I still think that works because it's it's got that great organ sound and the booming bells. And, and it's Nick Cave. Although they do use a stupid remix of it in the third movie for some reason, and it doesn't show <laughs> up in the fourth, which really annoyed me. All right, so uh, we're gonna hear some music and uh, come back, hear a clip, and talk about uh, Scream Two. You are listening to Sound on Sight. You don't know what's in you know what you're here for Close your eyes Lay yourself beside me oh, Hold tight For this ride We don't need no protection Take it off You want it off 
You could say what happened in that theater is a direct result of the movie itself. That is so moral majority. You can't blame real-life violence on entertainment. What? Wait a second. Yes, you can. Don't, don't you even watch the news? Yeah. Hello. The murderer was wearing a ghost mask, okay? Just like in the movie, it's directly responsible. No, it's not. Movies are not responsible for our actions. It's a classic case of life imitating art, imitating this life. This is not a hypothetical. It's not about art. I had biology with that girl. This is reality. Thank you. I agree with you. Let me tell you about reality, Mickey. I live through this, okay? Life is life. It doesn't imitate anything. Come on, Randy. With all due respect, the killer obviously patterned himself after two serial killers who have been immortalized on film. Thank you. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Stab two? Who's going to do that? Sequels suck. No, come on, man. Oh, please, please. By definition alone, they're inferior films. It's bullshit generalization. Many sequels have surpassed their original. Oh, yeah? Name one. Yeah. Aliens. Far better than the first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, there's no accounting for taste. Thank you, Ridley Scott rules. Name another. No. <laughs> Aliens is a classic, okay? Get away from her, you bitch. I believe the line is stay away from her, you bitch. It's film class, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, gotcha. Whatever, you know what I mean. Another. T2. Mm. You've got a hard-on for Cameron. Big <laughs> yeah. But wait a second. The first Terminator is historical. Yeah. Sarah Connor. Yes. <laughs> wait, come on. All right, all right, all right, okay. House 2, the second story. Oh, what? The entire horror genre was destroyed by sequels. I got it, by the way. I got it. The Godfather, part two. Alright, that's enough. That'll be a wrap. The sequel discussion to be continued. Oh, no. Originality. How would you make it different? I'd let the geek get the girl. And that was a clip from Scream 2, of course, the second of the Scream films and we're going to be talking about today. And this one was also scripted by Kevin Williamson and directed by Wes Craven. And uh, it, of course, analyzes not just the rules of slasher films, but specifically the rules of horror film and film sequels. And uh, opens with an extremely uh, self-aware sequence that, it, you know, also nods to, another, to uh, other films as well. Uh, now, Rick, uh, I know that you happen, or at least as until recently, this was your favorite of these films. It still is. You think so? Yeah, it's by far my favorite, yeah. Um, I know a lot of people aren't a big fan of the opening, um, but I actually really like the opening. I think a lot of people um, don't like the opening, opened... don't like black people. <laughs> um, no, but you know, it, it opens with a movie within a movie, and the movie playing on the screen is Stab, which features Heather Graham in the role of Casey Becker, which was originally played by Drew Barrymore. And you got Tori Spelling has Sidney Prescott, which was originally played, well, again, played by Nev Campbell. Um, I was actually, the only thing that disappoints me about the opening sequence is it would have been a lot more fun if we had, uh, if, if it was a little longer, like the excerpts from the actual film, because like, um, you know, like, Simon, you keep on bringing up the movie Anguish, like we've seen it done before in a movie like Anguish, which is a great movie, and, and it's true, you see the movie within the movie, and they're actually in a movie theater, um, but there's, like, you know, tons of examples I can bring up, like Matinee by director Joe Dante, or uh, one of my personal favorites, Demons, uh, by director Lamberto Bava, this Italian, like, horror film that opens up in a movie theater, and you're watching a movie within a movie, and it's, it's just, I don't know, for some reason, I love it when you see a horror film within a horror film. Um, so I really like the opening. I don't think it's as good as the opening in the first film. Um, but, uh, 
uh, it provides like a neat intro for like a new chapter, I think. And uh, what I also like about it is because the actual like um, what's the word I'm looking for? The um, the events that took place in the first movie have now become a movie within the movie. So it's it's on a larger scale, which mm-hmm. kind of changes everything because it's not just like you know like a town haunted by this past. I mean, it's like the whole world knows about this movie. And uh, I think one of the reasons why I like Scream 2 so much, aside from the opening, uh, another reason is because there's a lot more suspects, I find, in Scream 2. Um, but, you know, I, find, I what found I, myself... Yeah. Uh, what I like about Scream 2 is um, I find a lot of horror sequels that deal with a substantial cast, which is like 95% of slasher films. When you're going mm-hmm. into the sequel or the third film, the quality of the cast usually drops significantly. It's in this case, I would even venture to say that in some cases that it's an improvement. The cast is at the very least as good as the original. And I think that's what sustains this film and the series that they are. We don't have Skeet Skeet Ulkrich. Yeah, I know. That's like, Um, but, but, but but just whatever his name is, but just going back to like what I was saying about the opening is uh, it kind of plays into the end of the film, like like the final reveal, because you get two killers again, which actually didn't bug me in the sequel, where it bugged me in the first movie, but for one of the killers, it's a publicity stunt. And for the, when the second, when the other killer is revealed, uh, Timothy Oliphant, he confesses that his defense would be that he was corrupted by violent images from the movies and the popular media. And that's the ongoing theme of Scream 2. So yeah, you know, it looks at like, the tropes of like horror films and slasher films and it, it comments on like sequels but to me it's also about like popular media and no, the effect of movies i on see that children. in all and, of the films but they i don't think any of them deal with it in a successful way and i actually if we're going to bring that up i think this if it, on that level the series fails uh, because it does not it does not address that issue though it touches on it like it does mention it and it is hinted on all the films basically all the characters realize they could become famous by killing a bunch of people and in a creative way that will make them famous and that runs through all of the films but that none of them address that in a serious or interesting or creative way and none of them make it scary it's scary that is a scary idea you go ahead this comes the closest to succeeding in, 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 at least I think but you know put, put aside that that whole like I know, think the fourth actually like, is much better in that regard but I, it's not a great example either it's better and maybe. I sh- but you know like the death scenes are gorier and more elaborate and the body count is higher just like Randy says Shh. when do we see breasts I want to see Jamie Lee's breasts when do yeah. we see Jamie yes. Lee's breasts breasts not until trading places in 83 Jamie Lee was always the virgin in horror movies. She never showed her tits till she went legit. Could afford a decent pair. <laughs> What'd you say? That's why she always outsmarted the killer in the big chase scene at the end. Only virgins can do that. Don't you know the rules? What rules? You don't... Jesus Christ, you don't know the rules? Uh, have an aneurysm, why don't you? There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance... Number one, you can never have sex. Big no no, big no. Sex equals death. 
Okay? Number two, you can never drink or do drugs. No, the sin factor. It's a sin. It's an extension of number one. And number three, never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. I'm getting another beer. You want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. Oh! You see, you push the laws and you end up dead. Okay, I'll see you in the kitchen with a knife. And I think there's a lot more suspense. And you see it in scenes like the car crash. Like, that car crash is fantastic. I've seen Scream 2 more times than the rest of the, the, the entries into, this, into the franchise. And every time I see that car crash, I'm at the edge of my seat. Like, when they, they both have to actually climb over the killer and crawl out of the car, and where she's about to take off his mask, but then, you know, she decides not to take off his mask. Like, so much, so much suspense. And that's, that's what you need in a movie like this. Like, yeah, it's nice to have humor, and it's nice to have a whodunit and lots of suspects, but you need suspense. And I also really love the scene that takes place inside the radio station where you see Dewey and Gail running from the killer, and they're behind, like, a, um, a soundproof glass, so she can't hear him being attacked from behind. And I, I feel like with part two, it's like, like, with part one, at the, at the start of the movie, I was like, okay, well, if they killed off Drew Barrymore, then anybody can die. But then about 30 to 40 minutes into Scream 1, I was like, no, like, I'm pretty sure that Courtney Cox, you know, David Arquette, um, Jamie Kennedy and Ned Campbell are going to survive. Uh, but with part two, I was convinced that they were going to kill off Dewey, and I was convinced they were going to kill off Gale, and just, like, kill off everybody. And so for me, there was a lot more suspense in part two. Well, I think there is and there isn't. Uh, I mean, Scream 2 is the movie that kind of proves that they're willing to make it seem like they're going to kill everyone, and then quite, and then establishes that really they won't, and that really holds true Actually, for the rest of the series. they do. They, in one case, Randy. yes, they do. They kill Randy, but... He didn't see. He never seems. He never seems as central. He though, became as. expendable. Expendable. Well, uh, but you, you know they were supposed to kill off uh, uh, David Arquette. His well, he's also TV. expendable. Uh, they changed but it you need the to keep one of them. The, uh, Post production. Yeah. Well, it, it, I mean, in his in the scene where he gets stabbed a bunch of times, it really seems like he dies. And so then yeah, the fact was, that he, he doesn't the fact that he doesn't seems really lame to me. Uh, yeah. To me, Scream Two is a mixed bag. I mean, parts of it work really well. I like the opening, although actually I think it goes on a little too long. Um, and uh, I the the ending is a mixed bag. I mean, the there's a lot of weird things going on in this movie. You've got Timothy Oliphant, a 30 year old, playing like a, a like a college freshman, which is weird. He's also putting on that weird voice, which I I never understand why in these movies it's always like a high voiced white dude. Um, very strange. Um, because only white people kill a bunch of people. That's right. Um, I really liked, uh, I, I thought Timothy Oliphant really nailed hit the scene explaining his motives, and I think that's the only guy, that, that's the only scene in any of these movies where that scene works. Um, but you guys just disagree with me when I said that's what I liked about the movie, how it opens up with the movie within a movie, and it's on a bigger scale, and then he blames, like... No, no, like, I didn't say know, anything about I that. Said that. No, I said that it's not that I don't believe his motives, and I don't think it's interesting. I think... On a critical level, it is still very shallow and I, I think it's underdeveloped. Very, I think it's very shallow, but I, I, I think... I, I, it's not... Like, I take issue... If you're going to look at the series and say that it critically analyzes our culture's relationship with violence in the media, it fucking sucks. I, if I, you I, take it on <laughs> the fact that they address it on a very basic level... I don't really care. It does not address it in any meaningful way. Uh, I think it's shallow, but on a on a on a performance and a direction level, I think he he really handles that scene right. He he's very over the top with it. He's very campy. 
and he's a, and he's a little unsettling because he's so over the top and he's so good looking. How the, could you? How could someone so good looking do that? We all have a crush on Timothy Elephant, but the reveal of the second killer was retarded. Um, <laughs> I really didn't like that, and I and also it calls back to the weakest aspect of the entire series, which is this whole soap opera with Sydney's family. Which whenever they call back to it, I just silently groan because it's the opposite of interesting. Uh, yeah, so, but you, yeah, go ahead. you know, like Wes Craven isn't like he isn't like a John Carpenter or George Romero. Like there really isn't any political subtext or social commentary going on in many of his movies. At least, yeah, most most of his movies. Yeah. But there's also no real mystery to his success. Like you know, despite all the outrageous pop culture like self references and the media jokes, he never forgets or neglects the actual conventions of the genre and what it depends on, and that's suspense and that's why they call him the master of suspense and i think he showcases it in part two more so than part one and part three like he builds suspense through like the most obvious scenes even if it's in, if it's in the middle of daytime and and somehow it's like irresistible to an audience like you're actually like suspended on your seat for like a few of the scenes and and also like you know one one thing that i also like really bugged me about the scream series is i understand that Ghostface. You know, his, like, weapon of choice is the blades, like, just the butcher knife or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But, I mean, it's like, if you think back at, like, Freddy Krueger, like, Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, like, they all had, like, their weapon of choice, but it doesn't mean that they didn't also find other ways to kill people. And yeah. I could have used a little bit more creative kills within the series. Well, you're, you're sort of hinting at something that really bothers me about the series as a whole, which is that the encounters with, ghost, with Ghostface, for the most part, especially the ones that occur in houses, are pretty much exactly the same. I mean, you've got a usually a, a young woman answers the door, opens a window, answers a phone, answers a doorbell, and Ghostface shows up. She runs, she kicks Ghostface in the face. He maybe tumbles down some stairs or doesn't disappears, and then she gets attacked by the other Ghostface or the same. Yeah, and you know what? You know what, Simon? I'm glad you said that because that's another reason why I like Scream Two better because they actually change location. Yeah, that's and it's, true. It's like you know, basically they go from like high school to like college, but they do change the location. That's what I'm saying. We had that car, that car chase, and the car crash. We have like them running around like um, the, uh, the the cinema within the school, and then they're in the radio station, and then they're like they're uh, on the the stage um, on the set of like a theatrical like Greek looking production. I don't know what production it was. So. I do like the set pieces yeah, in that, Scream 2. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and you know, it, it's pretty ballsy also, and it shows a lot of confidence in the screenwriter, like Kevin Williamson, to actually include a scene where he talks about how sequels suck. I'm talking about Randy's conversation in the classroom. And considering, like, you know, the movie, Scream 2 faces a challenge to actually not suck itself. And so they had the dialogue within the movie about how most sequels suck. But uh, for my money, I think Scream Two is a better film than Part One. Fair enough. It's All a right. lot more. It's a lot more insidious, Simon. Yeah, yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. Okay, I think we should keep it moving. We're 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 actually like probably further along than you think we are. Um, oh, but but I, I just want to ask you guys: like, oh, you didn't sure. think that there was more suspects in Part Two? I do, but I don't think that more suspects necessarily makes for a better mystery. I like Part. I think I st- I I think I agree with you overall. I do think I like Part Two better. I don't know if it's because it's there's more suspects, but I do like it a lot well it's because it's like i really felt that anybody can okay. die which was proven with randy and like i said deputy dewey was supposed to die and then they changed the ending for whatever reason yeah but also like in terms of suspects like even deputy dewey like at one point you thought he was the killer because he's walking with a limp but he got stabbed in the back and you're like that makes no sense 
So, you know, aside from maybe Nev Campbell, I think if I was stabbed in the back, I might have a limp. Yeah. All right, one of us needs to stab the other in the back so we can figure this out scientifically. Well, he he blames it on nerve damage, right? Yeah. So that sounds that's very plausible. It's very plausible. Plus, plus, honestly, do you really think David Arquette can take a stab? Really? He doesn't strike me as a man who would be stabbed well. And that's why he's a funny police officer, because yeah. he's not a police officer. He's David Arquette. Yeah, I'm going to get to David Arquette later, but I, th- I think we should uh, we should move on and, and maybe uh, get into Scream 3. So uh, Yeah, before we move on, I just want to say that I, I also like the cameo occurrences, like Tori Spelling and... And I actually, like, I kind of like Laurie Metcalf's character. Like, I know you didn't like her as being, like, the second killer, but uh, I really thought she was a lot of fun in the film. And also, I don't really usually like Leif Schreiber, but, uh, you know, here he plays a wrongfully accused, and I actually really dug his character. I really like Leif Schreiber, uh, but I don't think he's very useful in these films. uh, And also, you you also got to remember that uh, one thing Scream 2 does, which is really important in Scream 3, because the movie is really not very good, is it also uh, ignites the romance between uh, David Arquette and, and uh, Courtney Cox. And, you know, like, I like the way they, you know, they joined forces, but for different reasons. Like, for her, it's all about profit and personal gain, but for him, he's just trying to be, like, a hero. But that's when the romance really starts, like, blooming. And I think if it wasn't for them as a couple in part three, I mean, well, they break up, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get to part three in a second. I, I yeah, think yeah. the movie would have been a major, major like, disappointment. And, uh... We're going to do it all over again with Scream 3 in just a moment. Well, if you're watching this tape, it means, as I feared, I did not survive these killings here at Windsor College. And that giving up my virginity to Karen Kolchak at the video store was probably not a good idea. Karen Kolchak? Yes, Karen Kolchak. Creepy Karen? Shut up! She's a sweet person, okay? We were working late, we were putting away some videos in the porno section, and, you know, shit happens. Open the door, Randy! Fifteen minutes. My room, too! Paul, 15 minutes, I'm leaving my legacy. 15 minutes, Paul! Damn! Anyway, the reason I'm here is to help you so that my death will not be in vain. That my life's work will help save some other poor soul from getting mutilated. If this killer does come back and he's for real, there are a few things that you got to remember. Is this simply another sequel? Well, if it is, same rules apply. But here's a critical thing. If you find yourself dealing with an unexpected backstory and a preponderance of exposition, then the sequel rules do not apply. Because you are not dealing with a sequel. You are dealing with the concluding chapter of a trilogy. trilogy. That's right. It's a rarity in the horror field, but it does exist. And it is a force to be reckoned with. Because true trilogies are all about going back to the beginning and discovering something that wasn't true from the get-go. Godfather, Jedi, all revealed something that we thought was true that wasn't true. So if it is a trilogy you are dealing with, here are some super trilogy rules. One, you got a killer who's going to be superhuman. Stabbing him won't work. Shooting him won't work. Basically, in the third one, you got to cryogenically freeze his head, decapitate him, or blow him up. Number two, anyone in character can die. This means you, Sid. I'm sorry. It's the final chapter. It could be fucking Reservoir Dogs by the time this thing is through. Number three. The past will come back to bite you in the ass. Whatever you think you know about the past, forget it. The past is not at rest. Any sins you think were committed in the past are about to break out and destroy you. We're back on Sound on Sight, and uh, we're going to talk about the third Scream film. Now, Rick, if I'm not mistaken, this is the only one not written, or at least partially written, by Kevin Williamson. Am I correct? Um, from my understanding... Um, this one was written by a, guy named, mean, by, by a guy named Aaron Kruger, who also did some rewrites, apparently, on the fourth one. 
um, it's weird too that his name was Kruger. Yes. Um, I'm not sure what happened because I mean Williamson, like Kevin Williamson. What's weird about like we're gonna get to part four, but like he produced part four and wrote part four, but the studio still interfered with screenplay. So you must not be a very good producer if the studio will mess with you. Yeah, but anyways, yeah, so it's a different writer. Right, and of course this time we have a whole new. uh, cast and uh well, no not all new we've still got nev campbell and courtney cox and now of course they're and, dealing uh, with let's not forget our favorite david arquette yes Parker right. Posey. Well, we'll get we're, we'll get to her Parker Posey. so we, so of course now in the film stab two uh, stab three sorry it's coming out they skipped over stab two if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. and yeah. um and there are actors playing the characters we see in the film which is how we get parker posey and jenny mccarthy and several other people, and uh, we've also got a director on board, played by Scott Foley, and uh, I mean, we, we've pretty much already sort of subtly hinted that this movie is maybe not so very good. It means it sucks. No. Yeah. I, I, nope. Although, Rick, I, I hear you <laughs> changed your tune a bit. Can I tell you guys, like, a funny story? I saw Scream 3 opening night, unlike Scream 1, which it took me forever to get to the theater. So I go see Scream 3 opening night. When the movie ended, I, like... Literally, like, guilt. This movie fucking sucked. Like, so loud the whole theater, like, heard me, right? And I never, ever wanted to return to watch Scream 3 ever again. But, of course, we're doing a podcast, so, you know, I had to watch Scream 3 again. What's strange is I actually liked it on second viewing. There's a few things I like about Scream 3, but it's not really a good movie. But uh, I do like the opening sequence. Oh, really? Uh, I think the I opening don't... is awful. Oh, the no, opening is terrible. I, uh I like not the opening sequence of Cotton Weary in his car. Oh, okay. But I mean, like when he gets to the house and his girlfriend's going to get killed. Um, I like and she attacks that him, you mean? part of the film had a lot of suspense. I'm, you know, for me, it's all about suspense. So I like that part of the film. I love Parker Posey. She's like one of my favorite actresses. You know, it's like I really missed Rose McGowan, who got killed off in part one. Here we get Parker Posey. Now, what's weird is I remember when I first watched it, I was really pissed off at her performance. But rewatching it for the second time, like 10 years later, I actually appreciated her performance because the movie's not really good, but at least she camps it up, like she hams it up. And so it's entertaining to watch her, like, imitate Courtney Cox's character, Gail. Hmm. And I like the chemistry between her and Courtney Cox. Um, I like the fact that. They could have just had Courtney Cox and, like, David Arquette as an actual couple, but instead it's, like, after their breakup, you know? So, like, there's, like, a little bit of, like, weirdness between them. Um, But um, I don't know. Like, the movie has a lot of problems, you know? Like, it has a lot of cool cameos. Like, Roger Corman's in it, right? There there are way too many cameos in this film. I'm just going to put that out there. You've got Roger Corman and Jay and Silent Bob and Carrie Fisher and... This th- this movie is so unfocused. Uh, there, this is where they start to branch off into referencing whatever the hell they feel like, and not just. It horror feels films. like a really bad episode of Family Guy. <laughs> yes, yes, and it's weird because Patrick Warburton is on hand to make that connection. Yeah, and I I hate Family Guy. <laughs> like, I'm not. I don't like I'm it either. So, but it's like a particularly bad episode. But um, I just I don't really like any part of the opening. I don't like that they break up uh, the characters you mentioned because it just pads on like 20 minutes to the movie to to you know to have you know you have to get them back together and that requires more talking and more exposition, which is definitely what this movie doesn't need. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's not really suspenseful. There's really only one. This is the movie that features the. Uh, the uh, the two way mirror, right? That's pretty much the only cool part of this film that I remember. 
Yeah, that is that's the best sequence. But they go into like the hidden like tunnels within the mansion, and there's yeah, a like the, the, there's there's some cool use of like I, I like the use of the of the of the set house. Like that was that that mm-hmm. makes for another cute little scene. But ultimately, like the way that 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 horrible little bit of fan service where they revive Jamie Kennedy so he can give you the rules of a third film, which aren't true at all. And what are know. the rules of the third? He's film? just like, oh, anything, anything can go. And I know, blah, but blah, like, blah, are blah. there actual rules that I think that might be the pitfall? Like, the third film usually sucks. Yeah, that's that's, that, that's the, the unspoken rule of the, of this of this movie that nobody ever says, which is that the third movie is almost always terrible, and it, it's true. Yeah, but I can't think of any well, other rules that would not apply. True in all cases, no, not I said in all cases, a lot of cases, almost always. Nightmare on Elm Street three. Even movies that you don't expect to be bad or would turn out bad, like Spider Man three. Whoops. We just insulted two films just yes, there. Uh, yes, wait, no, hold on a second. I like Nightmare on Elm Street. I know you three. do, and favorite. I'm bringing it up. I think it's one of the worst films of the 1980s. It's so well, bad. I watched that, and I, I wanted did. to like gouge my eyes. I'm like, seriously, seriously. Oh, I five year old me could have written a better movie and done better effects. Well, I hate um, Nightmare on Elm Street. It's a good 3. thing I put I, I reposted the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, good thing you so did. Everyone can listen to so that everyone can listen to how wrong you are. Was I on that show? Was I on that show? Because I know. Okay, good. No, I don't remember half those. Detroit Burns and our special guest John Morrell. Yeah, um, that's exciting. I, I agree with you. There's Rick. not really. Uh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say there's not really much to say about Scream Three, but I will say. That um, I you know I wasn't a big fan of the fact that Patrick Dempsey ends up being the killer in part three. Uh, I just not don't Patrick like Dempsey, him at yeah. all in this movie. Everything he's like it wasn't Patrick Dempsey the killer. Scott Who Foley. The killer? What's his name again? Scott Foley, Sorry? the director. I don't like Patrick Dempsey in this movie though. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Well, he's terrible. No, Patrick Dempsey's no, he's terrible in this movie. But what he's was the name terrible. of the dude to play the killer again? Scott Foley. Scott Foley. Wait, okay, what's yeah. his name? Um, he, the guy who plays yeah, Roman he Bridger. A, he's terrible. He makes he makes a really bad killer. Uh, but at least they stuck to one killer <laughs> instead of two, and um, I do like the reveal of the of the film. Like that's one thing I actually like about it. Like because the, the the whole thing about the reveal is first of all there's one killer, and second of all it's like he actually does have a traditional like uh, motive that you see in like typical slasher films, like you know the like half brother and like he's pissed off at her. No, no, no. Happened to his mom, etc. Et no, this is this is a motive you find in soap operas, not. In good horror films, the bad and the beautiful. Uh, yep. Wait, is that the but bold? This and beautiful? is the motive that you. This is a motive you find in like terrible sequels. <laughs> so yeah, but I don't think that... in, in that respect works. So wait, well they made a bad movie. film on purpose because no, all yeah. the three fil- the third films always suck. That's stupid. That's yeah. That's pretty much the most consistent level on which this movie works. I think. Yeah. Um, well, I'm just gonna say that uh, before I mentioned Patrick Lucier, who uh, you know whose name I always remember because he's the editor of the film. And, um, yeah, like, you know, he edited a lot of Wes Craven movies, but he also directs movies now. So he did Drive Angry 3D, and he did the uh, My Bloody Valentine uh, 3D remake. And now he's doing, I believe he's doing Hellraiser, and there's something else he's doing. He's doing some big movie. Um, I think he's doing Halloween 3, actually. I think you said that earlier. Yeah, so I don't know. It's Scream 3. It's, I, I yeah, mean, I love the word trying to avoid talking about this movie. That's how bad it is. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. So I th- should we move on, or does I, anyone I, have any other important points to yeah, make before, about Yeah, before 3? we go on to the movie that we're not going to spoil right away. Nope. nope. Uh, we'll play some music, take a break, play a clip, and we'll be right back with our review of Scream 4. This is Simon Clay, the official podcast of SimonClay.org. <laughs> Thank you. 
information. It's all over the internet. It is? There's a killer out there patterning his murders after the original movie. It's time for someone new to die. The unexpected is the new cliche, and virgins can die now. Does that mean that I'm not going to live as long as these two? Clearly. To be the new version, the killer should be filming the murders. Dale! Dale behind you! Go ahead if you have the guts. Not to implicate him. He can't kill Sydney. She's victim royalty. Not true. Sid's expendable. Point taken. Guaranteed third act main cast bloodbath. Fingers crossed on some nudity for a change. Time for your last question. Name the remake of the groundbreaking... Halloween, Texas Chainsaw, Dawn of the Dead, The Hills Have Eyes, Amityville Horror, Black Christmas, House of Wax, Mom Night, My Bloody Valentine. It's one of those, right? None of the above. I'll be right back. I know this one. You're not supposed to say that, are you? You're back on Sound on Sight. That was the trailer for the fourth Scream film, appropriately titled Scream 4. It is 11 years on from the uh, third film. I'm not entirely sure whose idea it was to, to rejuvenate the series, but here we are. And uh, this was once again penned by Kevin Williamson, unlike the third film, although apparently there was a spat of rewrites. Not entirely sure what happened there, but uh, Nev Campbell is, uh, is back as Sydney, and uh, there is once again a killer on the loose. What's, what's going on, we don't really know, but we do know that we've got a whole spat of young women on board. Really no interesting young men uh, that I can remember, uh, but lots of young women, and uh, a, whole, a whole bunch more victims. They had one of the Culkins. There is a Culkin in it, yes, now, I, now that I remember. Um, and uh, really, I had no idea what to expect from this film. I mean, it, I'd really only seen the first Scream, and it had been like a, a really long time since I'd seen that and I skipped right to the fourth one and I think the first thing that's worth establishing is that if you've never seen a Scream movie that shouldn't really be an impediment because it, I think they acknowledge that it's been a long ass time since there's been one of these and they, it's not really you're not going to be lost if you start with this I think it's fair no. to say yeah I think that's a fair statement I mean it's, it's for a new generation of kids I mean it's been a decade right yeah and I, I think mean, they I established watched... well I just watched, like, the first three movies with my niece. She never watched them before. She's, like, 16. So, I mean, uh, once again, I think Scream 4, just like Scream 1, comes at a really good time because I don't know about you guys, but I am so sick of torture porn movies and stuff like Saw and Hostel. And, and, I, and I love a lot of the zombie films that have come out. But, you know, like we, got, we had Walking Dead, like, 28 weeks later, 28 days later, Shaun of the Dead. Like, it's nice to have, like, a slasher film once again. But I think it's good timing. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there have been a, 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 I think what's, what's happened is that you, you've got your blend of like super hardcore, almost NC-17, like torture porn flicks or unrated even in the case of something like, uh, the remake of, you know what I'm saying? Um, I'll spit on your, I spit on your grave. And then you've got like, I guess we have had a certain number of like straight up horror films or like slasher films, but a lot of those have been like pretty watered down. Well, PG-13. Yeah. And like to a fault. Like, yeah. And so it is kind of nice to get like a straight up, 
non-supernatural R-rated horror film. They didn't give us boobs. I'm going to spoil it right there. That's, no That's boobs. true. There are, there, are, there are no boobs in this movie, and I think even those who don't want to be spoiled should know that going in. Yes, because yeah, if no, you're going to see a movie just for boobs... We're not in spoiler territory right now. No, we're I know, but... talking about the movie in general. Yeah, I know, but, it, but that is an important okay. point. Because some people see movies just for boobs, and so they should know not to see this. No, just not um, see this movie. You, you know what's strange is before I said Scream 2 was my favorite film of the franchise, and... Um, I kind of actually like Scream 4 better in some ways. I, in a way, it's, it's so hard for me to decide because you guys know me. I always change my mind every two seconds. But yep. I just wrote my review on this website today. And, and I said, you know, Scream 4 is bloodier, smarter, better, and just plain scarier than the three before it. Yeah, it is, it's yes, the it only one have, that's scary. Like, it, consistently. It doesn't have that opening sequence of part one, and it doesn't have that car crash of part two. But from start to finish, this movie is actually pretty scary. Well, I, I I disagree with that actually. I I don't. I think parts of it are unsettling. Uh, weirdly enough, the parts that are unsettling uh, don't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, maybe that's why they're unsettling. I think the opening is. Uh, I don't want to call it ballsy, but I do enjoy the way it just never ends. I love the opening sequence of this film, partly for that reason. It has that. It it is quite un- it's actually unpredictable and considering that it has such a legacy to live up to they do a really good job and it's funny it's scary it's self-reflexive in the best way a film like this can be it's great and like that sold me on the whole film and it's got Kristen bell yeah, content and, which always makes me happy and, yeah. and i agree with you guys i'm not gonna talk about what the opening is because we're not in spoil spoiler talk right now but uh, once again, uh, I'm going to repeat myself. It's much more than just you know winking nods to the camera about you know slasher films from the past. Like it's all about merging the humor and scares and tension and suspense, just like blending it all into like a story that's actually taken seriously. Like yeah. and that's what Wes Craven does so well. It's um, you know you got characters here that are fleshed out that you get to know. And there's a lot of characters in the Scream franchise, and you still get to know the characters. You kind of have a, t- a taste and feel for their personality. And I don't know about you guys, but like especially in Part 2 and Part 4, I actually cared who lived and who died. Like, I, did. I was actually hoping that they... I was hoping that there were some characters that they wouldn't kill off in Part 4, which they sometimes do and sometimes don't. I really um, like the cast but, of this film and the ca- set of characters. I think they were really engaging and interesting and new and different, and I really... In, like I did care if they died or not. Uh, I think they uh, were... I like the whole entire cast except for Emma Roberts, but in some strange way she actually works because I don't really think I'm supposed to like her character very much. Do you mean Emma Watson? <laughs> no, I'm talking about Emma Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I I really don't like Emma Roberts as as previously established. Uh, I don't. I think the only person I cared about whether they lived or died or not really was was Nev Campbell's character. Uh, I like. Hayden Benatire a lot in this movie and I did not expect that because I've seen a bit of Heroes and oh my god she is horrid horrid that's not her to blame that's the writers no I know but sometimes sometimes an actor can elevate the material here she's funny she's smart she looks great like she looks so good in this movie she's like she she looks great I love her haircut her haircut's amazing She's basically the female version of Randy. Um, well, I mean, she's she's, big, like, she's a very transparent. She's a very transparent geek wish fulfillment character. Yeah, no, she honest. definitely. I'm not denying that, but she works. Like, 
Yeah, oh, and they no, have I, 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 they have Annie from Community. They have Alison Brie. Yes, who right. is so yes. I did not know she was in this movie, and I saw her, and I was like, my life was a hundred times better. <laughs> She's great, yeah, and those are my those are my two favorite characters in the film. I think I, me too. I really do like Rory Culkin. He's not he doesn't have much screen time in Part Four. Um, I also like the new kid who is also the replacement for um, for Randy's character, the one with the I webcam. Can't remember his name. Yeah, oh, the one I don't with the like webcam. Him. Yeah, he was. Okay. Oh, I liked him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he he had some some interesting material. No, but... he, I didn't dislike him. I just think he kind of bland, and I just don't like him as an actor generally. I don't remember what he, else he's been in, but I I don't like him. I think the reason for me this movie works better than some of the others is it. it I think this movie amps up the comedy more so than the other films. I think there's although it does eventually try to be suspenseful. I think the suspense works. Um, it's I, I I think the suspense works a little better because there's so much comedy. Maybe, but you know what I think? Okay, going. I don't not spoil anything. I think in this film, the opening sequence kind of gets a lot of exposition out of the way that the other films work so hard to do through dialogue. Yeah, that's true. And that's why I think the comedy works better. So does the scares and suspense because they don't have to spend so much time talking about the rules of horror because they've showed them in, to a certain extent mm-hmm. quite early in the film. Yeah, I totally agree because in the first three films, like as much as I even love part two, it gets in the way of the suspense. And um, here they, they it, get it, it, around that really in a really clever way and the dialogue is quick, it's funny, it's none of it feels unneeded. It's just, it just works. But the reason why I think it's, it's probably the best in a series um, is because, I mean, just think about it. I mean, it must have been really tough for Kevin Williamson to find ways to reboot a series like Scream. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? And also by bringing it up to date. And like, like you know, we talked about the cast. Like, the cast to me, it's by far out of the four movies, it has the best cast. I think everyone in this movie is a good actor and at least fits the role. Like, even though I'm not fond of Emma Roberts, she does fit the role. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's been 15 years since the first phone call when Drew Barrymore answered a phone and she got gutted in her backyard. I was reading and something about years. Nev Campbell being the first screen queen to last four films or something like that, or the cast yeah. being so consistent. And they integrate mm-hmm. that but, really well as on top of it. Like, yeah. they bring back three characters from the but, three but, previous but, three. But my point is that it's, so it's been 15 years since the first film. It's been 10 years since the last film. And what I really love about this movie, and I think you guys are going to agree, is um, how it just brings it up to date. Like, the way it references, like, Facebook and Twitter and the use of mobile phones and portable digital cameras and the way they have the, like, live Internet feeds and, and just, like, you know, how Dewey's so confused about what the word meta means and how, like, he doesn't mm-hmm. understand how it's all leaked on the Internet and everybody already knows about it. Yeah. Like, it's a lot more current. But the thing is, you see this in a lot of movies. Like, uh, we talked about this. I believe even in a review of a movie like Hana, where she goes to the internet and, you know, she Googles her past or the past of her dad. Like, like Scream does it in a way where it's not cheesy or like a cop-out. Like, yeah. they really do a good job. Like, a lot of, of horror films, especially, I feel like they, they need, they feel like they need to reference popular media because if they don't, they're irrelevant. If you don't say, if you don't include in their horror world cell phones or the internet, it doesn't make sense. But what they do is like, oh, no, the electricity went out. Oh, no, we have no reception. Yeah. Oh, no, my battery died. Yeah. Oh, shit, I dropped my phone <clears throat> in the toilet. Like, that's how but, they but, get but, around but, it. And this film does not do but, that. It actually but, integrates but, it. 
But that's what I wrote in my review. It's like the best horror movies reflect the times at which they were made, and it was necessary for, for Screen to include all of that in the movie. But what I loved about it is it was all added to actually move the story along. Yeah. Like just the idea of how the killer is filming the killings and how like he's using this internet feed and, and just like how, you know, the whole idea of like how, you know, instead of getting the phone call inside the house on like the landline or getting into the cell phones and they could be getting the call even when they're driving down the street. But those little touches, it, it's not cheesy or cliched. It actually moves the story forward. So well, that's, that's, that's awesome. I think it also helps that like in Scream 3, you had that, bizarre thing where where the killer is walking around with a voice modulator that somehow has everyone's voices on it and it makes no sense and it would never exist and here no, I mean, yeah, and here uh it, it happens pretty early on i don't think it's a spoiler there's like a ghost face voice app i'm sure which, there is one which is perfect because that there's is, an app for that 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 i'm sure would exist i mean it's just I'm like, sure it it's, does exist it's no no different than like the t-pain app so i mean that was actually really yeah, clever but- you know, I, I can buy into, like, the idea of a ghost face app, but an app that can, like, reproduce everybody's voice in your neighborhood. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I, a stretch. Yeah. Even in the future like, yeah, world. Yeah, I, I, uh, I want Justine's voice and Eduardo's voice and Simon's voice. And the voice of the guy that lives down the street that buys ice cream at the corner store at 5 o'clock p.m. when he walks his dog, that guy, I want his voice. Like, yeah, no, that's not happening. Fair enough. Um, but, <laughs> you know, um, I also like the fact that, you know, they're – clearly aware like i mean this movie's made 10 years later a new decade everything's changed and like the whole tagline is new decade new rules and uh i like the fact that everything has changed like they there are new rules like you know the idea of like running up the stairs is actually a good idea now instead of going through the front door like maybe that's how you survive like you actually run up the stairs you know um if you have sex you're probably going to survive like it's the virgin that gets killed not the slut you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. everything's like flipped upside down so it's a lot of fun in that sense yeah and, um, it, it, it has some fun with that and it cops out in some other senses and i can't explain why at this particular moment for obvious reasons um right so i guess we should we should now get into yeah so anyone who thought. if you're part of most of the civilized world and you haven't seen scream 4 yet Turn it off, and, and by most of the lies, well, I mean of the day that we publish this. Uh, go, go and see it if you if you enjoy the other films, and uh, then come back to us because we're about to spoil the shit out of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so this is your last warning. We are going to spoil the movie. Yeah. So now, I, I hope uh, you've been listening. What I, what I really like about part four, like part two, is there is so many characters in this movie. There's so many red herrings. And once again, like part two, it's like there's so many people that you can suspect to be the killer. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, like part two and part one, once again, we're stuck with two killers at the end of the movie. And I was like, why? Yeah. Why couldn't it just be one killer? I don't mind the two killer thing. I mind the whole more suspects equals better mystery style of writing, which, again, Kevin Williamson could not write a decent mystery to save his goddamn life. I'm sorry. Uh, and But I think... Th- that I do think that the reveal of the killer, I mean, there's no reason to say there's no reason to say exactly who it is, but the the way it's it's revealed is a little bit more plausible, I guess, than in some of the other films. That being wait, said, wait, wait, I don't understand. We're, we're, this is spoiler. Yeah, no, it is. But he's saying that in in the, what Simon's talking about, it doesn't. It's not relevant who killed who. Yeah, like we can talk about that if you want, but I'm just saying. Okay. Um, but that now that being said. The movie finds like a natural ending about 10 minutes before it ends and it makes no sense. 
but and it's and it's very 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 badly staged i think uh but but i but I, but it would have been ballsy and then they go for the non-ballsy ending and that pissed me off that well, really pissed i don't me know off. like i kind of like like the fact that someone like rory calkin could have just been the killer because to me it made perfect sense uh, it did and it was kind of sad and like... depressing it was What's like that? his him as the killer is one of the is like one of the most depressing in a good way ending of the scream films it's not silly and and it, it's kind of upsetting it's actually upsetting yeah because there's tons of kids like that who uh, i know that's my point and i think that's why i said that guns and then they go to the school and they shoot everybody up. that's my point that's that's why this film like again i going back it's not actually critical but as far like critical of our media and violence but it's the closest because the because of the characters are are actually seem real and have strangely sincere motives that are well not maybe not emma i think it I think it would have been effective if they didn't include M. Roberts as a killer. I think they were trying to kind of go that two-tier. They were going for, our society celebrates the perpetrators, and I think Rory Culkin's character is supposed to represent that, like the Columbine kids. And then you have, on the other hand, uh, characters like, Nev- like pe- not characters, real people like uh, Nev Campbell or Emma Roberts, who she wants to be, where they celebrate the victim hero, where our media is so fucked up in that way. I think they tried to do that, but they didn't. They didn't succeed. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the yeah. problem uh, with Emma Roberts specifically is you've got that climax where, I mean, she and Nev Campbell stand and talk at each other for a while, and you're just thinking, like, Nev Campbell, we've seen you kick the asses of grown men for four movies. You are being bullied by a child with a knife. What is wrong with you? And she looks like a child. And she is a child. Well, yeah. And, and that's, that's the major problem about putting her as the killer. Because, I mean, look, you're supposed to suspend your disbelief. I mean, it's a Scream series, right? But she's, like, tiny. Like, she's probably, like, 100 pounds wet. Not even. Like, maybe 80 pounds <laughs> wet. And there are scenes in this film where Nev Campbell is, you know, is in, like, the middle of this crazy-ass fight sequence with one of the two killers. And, like, she's throwing people down the stairway. And they're, like, punching and kicking her. And I'm like, I can't picture neither Rory Culkin nor Emma Roberts physically overtaking Nev Campbell. No, me neither. She kicks so much ass in this movie. Well, and also, like, one of the reasons that I think the Timothy Oliphant reveal in number two really works is because his body language is perfect. He's aggressive. He's He's aggressive. Timothy Oliphant. Like, like if you just... what he wants. If you just look at the way he uh, he whips off his mask and then, like, whips out his arm and drops his walkie-talkie or whatever, like, he's got those weird herky-jerky movements that are perfect. Here you've just got, like, a couple of kids, and, like, they don't seem capable of what we've seen done and they def and and she definitely doesn't seem capable of basically like almost killing nev campbell which that everything that happened from that point on was just and the movie acknowledges that it's stupid and silly but that doesn't make it forgivable it's like scary movie three saying third movie suck it sucks it's it's a three this is scary movie yes you did (laughs) i meant scream three um it's a it is a bit of a cop-out it's a huge cop-out yeah and and, and, I, i don't it doesn't upset me and I, it doesn't ruin the film for me but it is lackluster as an ending i i think that w- I, here's my guess on what happened because this is meant to be the beginning of a new trilogy that's what everyone involved is saying and i think that at, at one point or another maybe kevin williamson had had a vision of this script as just a fourth movie maybe even a last movie and that and that fake ending really sets up a great dark ending for a last movie but they just don't do it because they can't 
because they they're well, setting I mean, up another look, trilogy. We don't know who wrote what or who did. No, what we don't. I'm just speculating. What. But I mean, what I will say is that I would have preferred if, say, the movie ended and Rory Culkin was the killer, and you know, based on like what Justin and I were talking about, why that would be so appropriate, yeah. and it was just him as the killer, but he doesn't actually get caught, and so if they are going to make a part five and part six, then it just follows Rory Culkin. Has like, you know, I don't like that either. Around people. I don't like that either. I don't know. I don't know how you would end this film. Like it, the well, I think ending it in a different way as opposed to the first three films would be a good start. And yeah, I agree, but I just don't see Rory Culkin's character. Doing I don't know. That. Having an ending where the killer actually gets away, I thought would be. I know, but I don't better. see Rory Culkin as the kind of killer who would get away. <laughs> which, which is why I thought the fake. Uh, let's call it the Fight Club ending because Emma Roberts throws herself through a glass table. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that ending was so ballsy because it was so unlike the others and it was so it, off Yeah, no, and it is, it would, all the killers in all these films, they are self-destructive, like at their basic, like you don't go out and kill a bunch of people, even if you think and know you're going to get away with it without having some sort of urge to die. Yeah. And I think that that kind of, that's a kind of pointed self-referential criticism thing going on but they kind of they do cop out and they really do um i just wanted to uh, this isn't really a spoiler report but i didn't get to bring it up earlier there are a few actors in this series that handle this material really well and there are some that that don't um i think david arquette is great in this movie <laughs> like especially his lo- his reading of what is meta uh, that whole c- scene is yeah great. well the, even Courtney cox's reaction which is oh this is so meta and he goes what's meta she goes i don't know See, I, but I found Courtney Cox increasingly grading over the course of these movies. I know, and news media is increasingly grading as society Okay, that's not, no, that's <laughs> not an excuse. I just uh, made that up. Sorry. But I, I think he... Um, I actually, I think Dewey is the best character in the whole entire series. Like, like you know, Randy might for me be the highlight in part one, and I love, like, Rose McGowan and Parker Posey, but I think overall in the series, like, I mean, I, I think that's what basically happened, you know, when it came down to part two, and they actually killed Dewey, like, he actually dies in part two, and they're like, wait, wait a minute, we can't make a sequel without, like, David Arquette, like, we need him, and I think, I think that's basically what, what's happening here, it's, this is the problem with studio films, I think maybe, perhaps, and this is just a speculation, but maybe, perhaps, Kevin Williamson actually wrote it with, you know, the killer gets away at the end type thing. And maybe, like, you know, people like Nev Campbell die. But the studios just will never let that slide because they just want to make part six mm-hmm. and seven and eight and Which nine. Which is ironic. And without that, without that star power, they feel that people won't go to the theater. They're not going to sell Yes, the immense they star power <laughs> of Nev Campbell. And David Arquette. <laughs> and David Arquette. Um, Whoa, no, no, sorry, but I see but what you Ned mean. Campbell yeah. and David Arquette are like the heart and soul of the screen. No, I, I agree. Uh, but I mean, it, it also, but it's, it's sad also because it contradicts what the movies are constantly telling us of, oh, anything can happen. Well, and, it's like, did, did you read Nick Shager's review, Rick? No, his review is up. Yeah, it is. Yeah, well, he, his, he, he did not like this film, which I disagree with. But his most pointed criticism of the series is that they never, ever acknowledge the fact that all these sequels and all of this is to make money and it's ironic that this film especially though i think it's probably the best falls victim to the fact that the studio wants to make more money off of it the most and that's one of that's not if not one it's the biggest criticism he has of the series um well to be fair nick shaker is like my favorite film critic um but i kind of disagree with what he said because 
maybe that's the, the maybe that's the motivation for the studio to go ahead and give Wes Craven the funding to make Scream Four. But I think this is a project that Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven have been wanting to do for ten years, um, and they just you know finally found a way to do it, and they've been actually waiting for the ten year anniversary to do it. I think it's a passion project for them. No, I'm not and saying that. That's I not what I'm saying though. I'm saying that the the way that the film is altered, especially in the third act, feels like studio yeah. intervention. That's what I'm saying, and that's yeah, ironic and, and given the context of the film. Before. Like you can't kill Nev Campbell, you can't kill David Arquette or Courtney Cox because the studios want them back for the sequels. And I mean, Simon, you're saying that it's not star power, but it is. I mean, technically, they could make Scream Five and get Brad Pitt and then like I don't know Halle Berry or something. That could happen. That would be really funny. But it's a big gamble. But it's a huge gamble. Yeah, you know? and, so, yeah, studios and, and it's, it's, I mean, it's because the problem with Scream, and, and, and this is why it, it, it kind of works against uh, the franchise, the killer, is because the whole, I, like, when you think of, like, Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween, Friday the 13th, the star of these movies, Hellraiser, um, My Bloody Valentine, it's always the killer that's the star of the movie. Scream is the opposite. The star is never the killer because the killer is always switching, and basically he's under a mask. He has no history. He has no past. He's not mysterious because he gets, the killer gets unveiled at the end of the movie. He has a voice, he has a face, that's franchise. it. Yeah. yeah, so because the stars are ne- the star of, or stars of the franchise is never the killer, it causes the problem that we have in the final act of every single movie. And it, it also now, and I'm going to kind of like say that I don't even think I want a part five or six because we're at the point now where, but you know, if they're not going to kill anybody, like then... It's going like, to get even more ridiculous, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I see no good good way forward for them at this point, which is why I was so uh, upset by the last ten minutes because I thought, great, perfect send off, do it like that, end it. But then this, the last ten minutes, really did sour my impression of the film. Even though I do think it's generally a, a, an improvement, just because they really did squander a great opportunity to shock well, everyone. And they, they did because the thing is, they're supposed to be setting up a new trilogy, right? Yeah, and exactly. If you, if you even think about a movie like. Like Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, I'm just going to compare it to Wes Craven's previous films. Like Part 3 is the last time you see Nancy, until we get to Part 7, which basically reinvents the whole film because it's a movie within a movie. But the point is, Part 3 is her, you know, and that's the final scene with Nancy, right? And then they start fresh, and they do Part 4, 5, and 6. And I thought that's, that was what Craven and Williamson were aiming for. I thought they were going to start fresh. There's a new killer, you know, kill off Nev Campbell, maybe possibly Dewey and Courtney Cox, at least one of the two, and that romance change it up, bring in new characters, start up a new trilogy for the new generation of kids. Right. That doesn't necessarily have to connect with the original first three films. Um, and they didn't. And I, I'm trying to think, right, if they're going to make part five, which I'm sure they're going to make part five because I think it's going to make like gangbusters at the box office, um, what are they going to do? Are, are they going to film the Stab movie and it's really going to be Stab 2 we're watching since they skipped over it? Like, I think in the next movie there's going to be a, a Stab 8, which actually has a movie inside the movie called, uh, I don't know, Skewer. And then it's going to just be uh, turtles all the way down. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't see a good way forward for them. And I, I think I, I, I agree with Shaker's point in the sense that the, the aspects of the movie that don't work are the aspects that seem most motivated by, by greed, you know, in terms of setting up a new trilogy and doing things that I, I, just, I don't see a way forward. But I, I, do, I do think that fans of the series should generally be happy, especially because it's so much better than Scream 3 was. Oh, yeah, 100 Not times Not even just fans better. of the series, but fans of horror films in general, because, I mean, I can't think of a good slasher film, maybe, maybe aside from The Strangers, which I didn't like too much the first time watching. 
Uh, but what's a good slasher film that came out in the past 10 years? I mean, we've been like... Well, there's some overdosed. European ones like, that are... Okay. Um, I like All the Boys Love Mandy Lane. I think I'm alone on that one. Yep. Um, the Strangers, the original film, is... In, I love. You Yeah, I love that movie. Um, other ones... Not too many. Not many. But I'm talking about I'm talking about American Hollywood films, or like at least films in America. I mean, we've been well, all the overdosed boys. with zombie films. Pretty much just the crazies, really, recently. Is that? I wouldn't call that a, a slasher. No, film. not a slasher, but like American st- studio film, horror. Not, that's what I'm saying, slasher yeah. movies. Yeah, fair enough. Like, they've, they've done well with like vampire films, like Let Me In, and zombie films, and like epidemic films. Um, you know, like even a movie like Wreck or... or but, you know, I think uh, that the slasher film doesn't work anymore. I think... Well, it does and it doesn't. I think that there was there's a lot of discomfort. Um, maybe it's... I've, I've been in school too long and I've been reading too many essays about youth <laughs> culture and youth violence. But, like, after Columbine, there was a huge amount of discomfort about writing any kind of film where you have a teenage protagonist who goes out and kills people. The, there was actually right, it, government it intervention, all that. It's just they're starting it to go back. To it doesn't have to be a teenage protagonist, A. No, I know, but the, uh, there was a, it's a, it's an, it's a, it's a, like, a slasher film above all horror subgenres is the one that is most often targeted towards teens. And the well, violence know, is usually movie, the most senseless. We reviewed a movie a while back uh, when we reviewed Scott Pilgrim. It was called Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. And to me, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil did more for the slasher genre than Scream 4. I think it's a superior film. It's one of the best Absolutely, like, yeah. slasher films I've seen in like decades. It's, it turns the genre and twists it upside down. No, I'm not uh, just I, saying... I don't I'm just saying this... for anyone who hasn't seen the film. But I'm, I'm wondering why a movie like Tucker and Dale vs. Evil hasn't even been released yet. I mean, we reviewed that movie last year. And because it it's Canadian. Yeah, that's true. It's not, Possibly, it has nothing to do with quality. Fantastic. No, I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's an issue of quality. I, I think that the fact that it's a Canadian production... An English Canadian production is unfortunately something that works against it. It's a great film. Yeah. It's one of the best films of last year, but, but, but it you know, has a lot I, of. I great... raved about Scream Scream Four, and I really liked it because to me it was a welcomed um, entry into a franchise that I kind of really like. And also, it's a slasher film that I've been like, you know, I've been hoping to see a good slasher film or at least a decent slasher film for like a good few years now. But I mean, despite how much I love the movie. I also don't think that it reinvented the genre the way Scream 1 did or kind of like changed the rules of the game. Like Not at all. Scream no, it doesn't. 4, and and it, it all comes down to what Simon says. It all boils down to the last 10 minutes of the movie. They could have really kick-started a new trilogy, a new kick-ass trilogy, some, in some way, but they give us the, you know, the typical Scream 2 killer ending Nev Campbell survives along with Courtney Cox and Dewey and etc etc yeah and it's it, it's it's disappointing we no uh, trilogy is the new trilogy by the way yeah this uh this episode should now be officially titled the screamathon because uh we've gone on for a really long time Yeah, i know and i have essays to write that's true you uh you should get on that but um anything else anyone wants to add before we wrap it up nope no all right. Really? All right. So uh, really. we've got we've got so much still to do on Sound on Sight. We uh, we still have to get to our uh, we're going to do a Sydney LeMay special because of course he just passed. We still have to do an Elizabeth Taylor show. Yeah. Are we doing that next week? Happening. Oh, we've got. It's all happening next week. Yeah. So uh, that's going to be next week, and of course uh, soon there will be decent movies in the multiplex again. So we'll have to get to those when they arrive. Arguably. Do uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter and uh, all that good stuff. And we uh, we got. All sorts of new new stuff on the website going up every day, soundonsite.org or soundonsite.ca. And uh, you just published your Scream 4 review, Rick, spoiler-free, although I guess that doesn't matter anymore. Okay, so uh, we're going to close things off with a bit more music. Uh, thank you for joining me, guys. Well, Rick, get well soon. Oh, oh. excuse me. 
speaking of which, um, I've been posting my track of the day because a lot of people write in with feedback about the music we play. Right. Yeah. We always publish the we always publish the playlist on the actual show page. If you want to know the name of a tune, you can just go to the show page for like whatever the podcast episode is, and you can right. see the playlist. But I've been publishing a lot of the tracks that we play just on what I call the track of the day. So every day I put up a new track. I'm actually going to put one up in about two minutes. What's what's the track? So, um, I think I'm gonna, <laughs> I think I'm gonna put another track by uh, by Cut Copy because I really dig their new album. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's not bad. That weekend record is really good too. Uh, that weekend record is awesome. All right, so uh, this has been another episode of Sound on Sight. We'll get back to you next week. Now